0: You're listening to Free Association. Today, my guest is David Harrington, founder of the Kronos Quartet, a string quartet at the vanguard of contemporary music for the last 50 years. In this episode, the subject is Black Angels, the George Crumb composition which sparked the formation of the quartet in 1973 and their recording of the piece over 15 years later. Stay with us for my conversation with David Harrington. You're listening to Free Association right here on WCBC. David, I'd love to start with just playing you some sounds and afterwards we'll talk about our first impressions of hearing these sounds in the 1970s. So my first recollection of hearing that sound was as a little kid staying up late to watch The Exorcist which was released in 1973. It was on TV and that sound came on all of a sudden and it just spooked me so much. Now your experience was much different. You heard this on the radio and I can't even imagine hearing this on the radio. Paint us a picture of what you were doing at that time where you were when you first heard that
1: yes well regan and i my wife and i had just moved back to the united states from victoria canada where i had gone to play in the orchestra when i thought that i might get drafted by the u.s military Uh, as it turned out they didn't want me just about as much as i didn't want them so it it worked out to everybody's advantage but by then i had signed a contract with the victoria symphony so i was there and it was a great year up there i I got to play all kinds of music and uh, uh, and it was it was beautiful and we came back to seattle which is where we're from and I had been playing quartets almost every day in Victoria and I wanted to, I just wanted to do that forever. And late one night in, in August of 1973, on the radio with basically the only introduction was the name of the piece and the name of the composer and bang, there it was. And that's how i heard it first and you have to remember that the um what should i call it the stench let's say of the american war in vietnam was permeating our society and many people my age were trying to figure out what is the right thing to do what music should we play what you know and all of a sudden there it was for me Mm. there was no question in my mind it it was like this instantaneous magnet (laughs) that happened and well i for one didn't know who george crumb was i didn't know anything about him or um electric quartet I'd never heard an electric string quartet and so the next morning I the first thing I did was I I called the Seattle Public Library and found out who published Crumb's music and then I got the phone number of Peter's edition in New York and I didn't have a credit card or any they just had to trust me <laughs> anyway i i said i have to have this score i just have to and i need it as quickly as you can send it to me well a couple days later there it was in the mail wow. and it was in this great big uh circular container and i opened it up and and unrolled this score and it it's you know when you open it it's about this wide wow. huge and you can see my arms yeah, yeah it's huge it's the biggest score i'd ever yeah. seen yeah, and I looked at that, and, and there were so many. Of course, I'd heard this on the record too, but there, there were so many um, amazing things to do. From shouting in various languages to playing crystal glasses and playing gongs and um, all kinds of different bowing techniques, and the the p- palette, the sonic palette was vast, and. So that morning, you know, when I looked at the score for the first time, I realized to myself, I've got to get a quartet together, and we're going to play that piece. Uh We have to. And so it was about September 1st, 1973, when Kronos had our first rehearsal. And the first piece we started to play was Webern's Six Bagatelles. (laughs) And... Um, and you know, it took a while before we got enough chops and enough experience and had collected all of the glasses you need and the gongs and everything you need to play Black Angels. So it happened that first season, but it was in March or April of '74 when Kronos first played Black Angels,
0: performed it live. Wow, yes, wow. So I I was looking at this score, the very first page says black angels 13 images from the dark land and there the first thing i noticed here is the like you said it's an electric quartet and i have to imagine that in 19 in the early 1970s there weren't a lot of pieces for electric string quartet i had never heard one before right and, and, yeah. and so, I'm looking at the, the notes, and in the notes, it says... Crumb had, had stated something like, the amplification of the instruments is of critical importance. Ideally, one should use genuine electric instruments with a built-in pickup. He was very specific. He went into great detail. And at the end of this paragraph, he says, if the amplifier is equipped with a reverberation control, this should be set on high to create a more surrealistic effect. So I have to imagine if you're performing this, so you're going through amps, is that right? Each of you has an amp or, or are you going through a PA and, and the engineer is setting reverberation? I mean, there's so many variables, right? <laughs> when you're talking about amplification. Well, Brian, you have to remember that
1: when Kronos played this for the first time um i didn't know anything about engineers <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know anything about amps i mean i knew we had to get some speakers and we went to radio shack and got these very heavy microphones wow, wow. contact mics that we t- put uh, we taped them to the bridge oh wow
0: okay adhesive
1: tape right this was really crude and they sounded they sounded uh, to my ear they sounded great but it was really raw right and um so each of us had our own speaker and the way we did a sound check was each one of us would go out and check the sound and all i did was be sure i was the last one to check the sound and i just turned it up a couple notches. (laughs) <laughs> so
0: our first performance was as raucous as possible oh that had to have been like nails on a chalkboard with the with the contact mics and the oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah. rock and roll right
1: and uh, and it was in it was in the university unitarian church oh, in seattle which was very reverberant um, wow so it, it it had it had its quality and, uh, I still have a smile on my face when I think about that performance
2: <laughs> and also, wow.
1: also I, I, should tell you the, the other thing is, um, we used to rehearse in the art building at the university of Washington, and they had these huge easels with, uh, uh holes where you could put the cups for the, for watercolors. Oh, wow. Right. Wow and that's what we used as the music stands and so we we played uh our first performance was with these very very heavy huge easels with with these <laughs> room for the the uh the paint and the <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so and so we we um that's
0: where we put the the uh, crystal glasses oh, all right them to- you needed yeah. the easels because you—it was such a large score that you couldn't. Uh, That's a, right. a regular music stand wouldn't be wouldn't suffice. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't work. Let me yeah. let me play another. This is from your recording. me a couple listens to realize this is a quotation right of of the schubert piece is that correct
1: it is correct and so when i first heard black angels on the radio that night um it was like the whole world of music came together Oh, interesting wow Great. because okay the opening part that you played a moment ago i thought man, I've always wanted to sound like Hendrix and here it is. Okay. Okay. And then there's the some of the rhythmic aspects sounded like Bartok and I grew up playing Bartok, right? And then there's the Schubert quote and then there's the um, crystal glasses, this music that's out of this world. There's Renaissance music. There's um, I, I mentioned the chanting in various languages, and, and uh, there's sounds that reminded me of, of uh, things I'd heard from, from various uh, places in, in the world. Um, you know, the Nonesuch Explorer series had uh, revealed so many cool things in those days mm-hmm. for me. And, and, and here they, it's like everything was like in one place. And it was a string quartet and i it, so basically for me um what happened was it, it felt like and i i i need to tell you also it felt like a response to the the american war in vietnam it, it felt like okay this makes sense i can i can put my whole self into this because it's you know, when we got out on the stage and made that as loud as we could, that performance of Black Angels, it felt like we were able to sh- shout at the injustice of the universe. Right, <laughs> or, right. Or, or however you want to describe that, or, you know, that that's how I describe it. It's it just, it, it, it was a musical way for these instruments that we'd all grown up with playing music of Haydn, mozart beethoven schubert and others it, it felt like they had been um these instruments had been born in our time
0: <laughs> right right <laughs>
1: they've been renewed let's say
0: and, it, and it's so interesting because so much of Kronos's history has been uh, a mirror image to what's going on whether it be civil rights or 9 11 or even looking back to the Holocaust, right? Um, so it's interesting that the very first piece that inspired you had that sort of um, cultural um, and and historical aspect to it. Well, yes, for me,
1: it did. It. And I remember, um, you know, after we recorded Black Angels and, and we decided that, the program notes would be very very short sentences or several sentences hopefully by the composers Mm -hmm. right and so i called up george crumb and uh you know by then he had been to our concerts we had met a few times not that i knew him or know him well but we'd been in contact and he he liked our recording and he and so I called up and we began to talk about Black Angels. And I said, you know, for me, uh, Black Angels is a direct response to the war. What do you think? <laughs> and what Crumb said to me was this. He said, there were strange things in the air right that's that's as far as he wanted to go right uh, But what that taught me is you know one of the things composers and, and all musicians do is they listen to the strange things in the air right. <laughs> we all we all do that right but a composer doesn't necessarily know what his or her listeners is going to take from. The experience that they first imagined in their right. imagination. Right. It becomes a public event and, and a public um, resource. Right. And and so he he didn't tell me I was wrong. He mm-hmm. just did. He just didn't yeah. want to say that that's all it was or that's that
0: he didn't want to define it, sure. it as the
1: way I would interpret
0: my, And I really my, love that. Yeah. Actually. I love that. I mean, my interpretation mm-hmm. is. I could could be wrong but you know you're if you're if he's writing during that time frame it's going to seep into the piece you know um mm-hmm. and, and we we as musicians of course we have this this challenge during the Iraq war I remember as a musician thinking what am i doing playing you know playing this mm-hmm. stuff what what is my response to what's going on you know during the the Trump years. What is my? A lot of musicians felt. What is my response to what's going on in the country? Um, mm-hmm. And here mm-hmm. you have this piece that's sort of ready-made, and it must have been. Th- I, I can see it now. I didn't really get that perspective at first, but now that you mention it, I can see. You know, being in that in that time, um, listening to that as a violinist, must mm-hmm. have been. It just must have been the the perfect vehicle. Right. Well, the other thing is.
1: Uh, i mean i'd grow grown up um playing quartets since i was 12.
0: oh wow okay
1: that's when i started my first group was when i was oh i 12. didn't know that okay
0: like yeah you, you were and a quartet guy you weren't okay. i was a quartet. interesting yeah
1: i'm not a violin guy
0: <laughs> interesting and,
1: and so I, I don't even think of myself as a violinist i mean i i just i deal with it in order to play in chronos right and and when i was in junior high and high school, I dealt with it in order to play quartets with my friends, right. <laughs> basically. Um, but all of a sudden, it, it felt, th- th- this was unlike any other string quartet piece I'd ever heard. Right. And it, it felt so, it felt like the form was alive. And of course, I'd read what Boulez had said. You know, the string quartet is dead, and, and you know all yeah. kinds of things like that. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I had proof that he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> number one, right. but number two,
0: yeah.
1: I didn't really care that it, that I thought he was wrong. I cared more that it's not dead. It's like okay, this crumb found a way to uh, navigate through everything, right? And fu- and in embolden in this art form, keep it really vital and alive, and this is what how I want to spend my time.
0: Wow. wow. <laughs> is what I got out of it. <laughs> so I, I it's interesting. You you earlier you said you don't think of yourself as a violinist. Because mm-hmm. the, in our working together, I remember very early on you said something like, Well, we're mixing a piece, and you said, Can I hear solo chronos? And I thought. Oh, that's interesting. So, to you, the quartet is the solo instrument. That's the instrument, and um, and you've always you've always been like that since I've known you. You've always been sort of very focused on, on on the quartet as a as a solo instrument or or as a solo vehicle.
1: Let me step back a little bit, Brian, because the first string quartet piece I ever heard was uh, Beethoven's Opus 127. Oh, interesting and that was in uh, 1961. And I maybe you remember this, although you're younger than I am, but um, in those days you could join the Columbia Record Club by sending in a penny. Right, right? yeah, I remember those, yeah, those days, yeah. <laughs> well, I was reading a biography of Beethoven uh, in 1961 and I was had read about the late quartets. Right. And suddenly I, saw this ad for the Columbia Record Club and one of the offerings, if you sent in your penny, <laughs> was the first of the late quartets recorded by the Budapest Quartet. And I thought, great, I'm going to find out about a late quartet right now. And so um, in addition to Tchaikovsky and um, Bernstein conducting this or that, I got Opus 127. And when I heard that E-flat major chord at the beginning, it did the same thing that Black Angels did to me. Uh, It'd be 12 years later. I, I just had to make that sound. public library in Seattle is a good place, man. I, I, <laughs> I, I went there and checked out the score and the parts and called up three friends. And so here's 12 year old David with three of his friends and we start the first note and for a 10th of a second, it sounded like the Budapest. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, after that it was uh, total chaos, but, but since you know, ever since then, I've believed in the value of that 10th of a second experience in life and music and whatever it is you're doing. Right. Because you it, it can really have power. And it, it can be like a seed. And, you know, I can hear the Budapest sound on that E flat cord, uh E flat chord right now.
0: Wow. Right mm, now, right. as I'm talking
1: to you, I've carried that around inside of me right and basically as far as i'm concerned everything i've done since then is kind of a variation on that right and then you know you fast forward a few years and encounter bartok for the first time and then you encounter uh thelonious monk and then you you know on and on on and then then there's black angels and basically everything becomes a variation
0: right right but you had that foundation of that that yeah. chord that opening chord yeah it's a sort of and then there's yeah,
1: yeah and and then if you're lucky you have these seeds and they just keep growing you know right, that's great that's what's so cool about music i know it's, <laughs> it's endless just, it's an it's a it's huge endless. tree
0: that just keeps growing and growing and there's all these yeah. branches and
1: well and i was reading the other night about the, the um these uh fungi that grow under trees, and they're these vast organisms, huge, and they communicate with each other. And I thought this is exactly like music, actually. Right. Each one of us is is a little, uh, like a little tendril of, of a fungi root. Or I'm, I'm sure that uh, that I'm not explaining it correctly, but but I, I have an image of. Of the world of music being like this vast beautiful network that is mm. is sort of connected and every once in a while these beautiful fruits emerge and those are the mushrooms <laughs> or <laughs> the great pieces or <laughs> however you want to test right
0: you know? yeah i like the idea of the network the network of the roots because there's you know so much of it is people i was yeah. just telling talking with a friend of mine music is such a great uh medium as a, as an as an artist because you get to write music on your own mm-hmm. you and and sort of um study music on your own then you have the the social aspect of we're in a room working on something mm-hmm. and then you have if you're making music videos you have the video aspect and if you're if you're doing um there's of course there's the educational aspect of it too mm-hmm. and then there's artwork for the record that's a component as well so music it sort of combines all these different uh art forms whereas if you were if you were an animator you know you'd just be kind of stuck in a room working on (laughs) maybe solo sort of stuck in a room but but music is such a social a social thing um and that's got to be such a big part of it for you too because you've you know you've been able to meet so many Mm. different people through this yeah yeah
1: Yeah, music is, uh, it's the best. I I mean, how does anybody do anything else? (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) This is another really great, great sound here. In order to make this work, did you have to tune? Did you have to come up with the correct water to tune to tune these glasses? And, yeah. and how do you how do you handle this live when you're when you're in a performance situation? Well,
1: I, you know, when I think when I hear this, I'm taken back to uh, Seattle, 1974. Uh, I went down to the um, department store downtown with my bow right i see and uh was bowing crystal glasses at the bon marche which was a a very (laughs) nice department store in those days people
0: looking at you a little funny (laughs) they were really looking
1: at me funny and uh, i i probably got kicked out uh you know although there was. There were a number of department stores, so I I ended up. Just went
0: to another one. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: Um, But yes, we we had to find uh, pitches that would work, and and then um, you tune them, fine tune them with water. Oh wow!
0: Okay, so the the water, the I guess the how much water is in the in the glass will change the change the tone.
1: The more water, the lower it is. Oh, interesting. Okay. Wow! Great. Yeah, and uh, the way we do this now is we have a special suitcase uh, that travels with us for performances of Black Angels and it's very padded and uh, (laughs) the shape of each glass is cut out in the styrofoam right um and actually the last time we played it at the last trip one of the glasses broke and so we had to go find another one. Oh, and wow this has happened uh one memorable performance was in iowa city uh and we were doing a, a a kind of a um theatrical version which is the way we play it now where we all stand except for sunny she's she's sitting on a uh platform um and we had the, this shroud that was covering the glasses. And there were uh, heavy kind of pins that were holding the shroud. And as it came, um, came up, I think it was uh, as the glasses were being revealed, one of the um, heavy metal pins uh, broke a glass or two and oh, this was wow. in the afternoon in iowa city and we had to race down and get to the shop and get uh, get some new ones and uh, wow yeah so the uh another great thing about black angels is there's always adventures with this piece <laughs> something always happens and right you know coming up this april uh Kronos will play Black Angels as the first piece on a concert for the very first time in 48 years. <laughs> mm, wow. So we're, we're starting a concert at Carnegie hall and, uh, it's going to be, it has to start late because there's sound leakage into the large hall. <laughs> so our concert is going to be a late night event and it's starting, perfect. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So wow, much. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, so, of course, because you have to travel with those particular glasses, and you have yeah. to fly around with those glasses. You can't just pick any pick mm-hmm. any glass. It's got to be a specific crystal glass. No, and, it, ta- it takes, wow.
1: you know, a lot of time to get it all right. figured out. <clears throat>
0: right. And that's not the only strange thing about this piece. You're also speaking the number 13 in different languages, right? That's right, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Mm-hmm. I saw another... another um, a photograph of, I, I haven't seen, I've never seen the piece performed live. So I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to this, this performance at Carnegie, but your instruments were hanging. Yeah. Is, is that part of, is that part of the piece or what that's, happens there?
1: That's something that our, uh, late, uh, stage and lighting designer, Larry Neff invented. And the idea, oh, wow. that, so we come on in the dark, we take our instruments, from their hanger. Oh, I see. And th- the piece starts, uh, uh, I give a cue and the lights come on. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. And
1: and, and then when, when we're, when we, when uh, John and Hank and I uh, move to play the glasses, which are kind of on an altar behind Sunny, uh, we put our instruments on the uh, on those hangers and so there's kind oh, of this disembodied uh feeling about the instruments and the audience comes in and they're looking at these instruments that are just hanging in there and it's it's uh
0: i have to say i love it <laughs> i love that that's great yeah. yeah that hanging violins is really um a great idea maybe you could talk about the difference between recording and and performance with respect to this piece, but also some of the other complex pieces that you've done.
1: Well, one of the reasons we came up with um, that idea of, of hanging the instruments was to cut down on the time of the perform, the, t- the length of the performance. Uh, right. What we found when we recorded Black Angels was that it was at least 10 minutes short shorter than any performance we'd ever given and wow. we we tried to follow crumbs um, timings as exactly as we could and can right. uh, and so the piece is a really a short piece actually
0: when, when you recorded it you realized it's actually a shorter piece much shorter than, than when we had performed it because when you perform it you have to put Place the instrument down. Walk over. Get in place with the crystal glasses, yes. and walk back. All that time adds up. Adds up, right? It, yes, yeah. And, yeah.
1: and 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 uh, the timing on the recording really pleased us. It felt so vivid and
0: and balanced mm-hmm. in it's a way. It's very compact. Yeah. yeah,
1: right. And so, actually, the recording then influenced the way we performed it. So we played that recording for Larry
0: oh, Nep, I see.
1: Right. And, and we were just fig all of us were figuring, okay, how can we present black angels in the most condensed way possible? And so Larry came up with hanging the instruments. He came up with this, uh, idea of the altar for the glasses. Oh, I see. And, and a lot of things, um, that we do in in live performance were influenced by the recording
0: oh actually. interesting wow wow that's mm-hmm. great i mean it's much more impactful if you're not waiting around for the next movement to yeah. start you know i um, mean the, the so, piece has yeah.
1: always cast its spell right of you course. know i mean it could go on for an hour and it would cast its spell <laughs> sure. but yeah. but we just thought as uh the recording had this uh, power that, that, uh, we wanted to try to bring to the concert stage. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Let me, let me play a, um, an interview with George Crum. Um, and he talked, he, yeah, he talks about in this, he talks about balancing the technical with
2: expression. i am sometimes asked, you know, which, which is more important in music, the, uh, the technical aspect, you know, or the kind of uh, spiritual or expressive side of music. And uh, I usually answer that. my My own thinking is that these things have to be in balance. And in thinking about all the music of the past, I loved my favorite composers. Uh, It is, in fact, always a balance. The the craftsmanship is always there, and the imagination and the potency of the uh, ideas is there. It's a combination of two things, and neither would work without the other. Sometimes you find an example of a composer that's a little too heavy to the technical side, and his music can sound uh, academic, uh, university music, I call it. Uh, or if there's a shortage on the technical side, you, you might uh, begin to think of an untrained composer that's really not able to get the ideas to speak. Yes. Dilettante, you know. So maybe everything, maybe everything in life is, a, is is a question of a balance, you know, between two opposing things. First of all,
1: it, it, I just love to hear George Crumb talk. (laughs) He's (laughs) got a great voice. Yeah. He's got a great voice and and I'm reminded of something. um, I think it was Oswaldo Golihoff told me, uh, Oswaldo studied with Crum and he said there was one lesson. It was was just so great. And, and he, he was, um, exploring Mahler in this particular lesson. And one of the students had not heard one of the Mahler symphonies. That, oh, they were, wow. that was being talked about. And Crump went over to this person, put his arm around him, and and said, you are so lucky,
0: because
1: you're going to get to hear this right now. And so <laughs> the rest of the lesson, as far as I could understand, was playing that, that music. Right. And, wow. and what a great teacher. I mean, you can, you can just feel his, his ability um, The other thing you you know i don't know if you know this but the 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 world premiere of black angels by the stanley quartet the university of michigan was actually conducted by george crumb
2: oh
0: wow no i didn't know that interesting yeah Yeah. and you know
1: i've often thought i wish i could have been there when the stanley quartet opened up their mail and they got the score to Black Angels.
2: (laughs) (laughs) holy... What the heck? Uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: What an amazing beginning that piece had. And and of course, uh, um, I don't know much about the Stanley Quartet, but I'm sure they had never played Amplified before that. So, I mean, not only are they getting, uh, you know, this piece delivered to them, They have to figure out how to do all these amazing things with paper clips and and, uh, thimbles on on their fingers and bowed crystal glasses and all this. Um, But then they have amplification.
0: (laughs) On top of all that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, when when I think about moments in the history of music that are, are just infinitely wonderfully cool. That has to be one of them, right? It there. has to be, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the debut of this. I mean, yeah. no one had ever heard anything like it, and no one had ever performed anything even remotely right. like and that. And I've
1: never met anybody except Crum himself, who was at that premiere. I, I don't, oh, know, wow. don't know, don't uh, know. I did meet somebody that was at the premiere of the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, but uh, never. Oh, at the really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Dane, Dane Rudyard, the composer, Dane Rudyard and mysticist mysticist was uh he was at that wow that amazing yeah so it took many years uh i mean so i started crones in 1973 with three other guys and uh the group has changed hands occasionally over the years but i always knew we were going to record black angels and but it took um it took 16 years before we did right and why why did it take so long well part of it was I I always knew that our recording of Black Angels was going to begin with Black Angels so the audience had no preparation it's just I, I always advise turn off the lights, turn it up loud. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Track one. Wow. Track one. I you know, I, I didn't want anybody to be prepared. I wanted to just go for wow. it. You know? And um, so for me, the one of the big questions is what will follow Black Angels? And it took right. like 15 years before I finally just had this moment. It was on an airplane ride. And I remembered uh, being at my grandma's house. I was probably 13 or 14 and she played Thomas Tallis's 40 part motet
0: for me. Right. Beautiful piece. Yeah.
1: And I just recalled that the magic of that moment. And, you know, her, her, uh, she had a very beautiful garden and and she, At that point in the summer, her windows were open, her door was open, and you could uh, smell the the, uh, beautiful fragrances. And there was this Thomas Tallis music there. And it it was magic. (laughs) And I had kind of forgotten that. And then I realized on this flight, just recalling that, I thought, that's it. Wish I could have seen the look on my face when I first saw the score to to Speminalium because oh wow it Good. was the only other score that was as big as Black Angels. <laughs> it's,
0: it's That's like, when you knew you had it. It's <laughs> right. like okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. So who arranged that? Did someone arrange that for for uh, for quartet? Kronos. Uh, Kronos. Kronos did. did. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. that must have been a quite a challenge to get. So you had. You had eight choirs of four, five voices each, and you had to somehow distill that into eight eight quartets. Eight quartets. Oh, and then
1: and then uh, eight extra cello parts.